This morning, we're starting a new series in Isaiah, which is called Coming Home, and I'd like to welcome our associate pastor, Henry, up. Well, good morning. Thanks for braving the Kansas City's weather this morning. Uh, my name is Henry Thompson, and I am an associate pastor here at Christ Community Brookside. I hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving this past week, and I'm thankful to have the opportunity to preach the Word of God to you this morning. Before we begin, let me pray. Father, uh, just thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. Uh, thank you for getting everyone here safely, Lord, and I pray that you would get everyone home safely, uh, Lord. And I Father, I just pray that you would speak through me this morning, through, fill me with your Holy Spirit, Father. I pray that you would hide me at the foot of your cross, and I pray that you would be glorified through this message this morning, Father, and I pray that you would bless your people through the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, I have been in Kansas City for about six months. It has been a blessing to be a part of the pastoral staff here at Christ Community. I have learned a lot in the past six months, and I know that God has called me to Kansas City in this season. But moving from the Chicago land area to KC has not exactly been an easy transition. It is hard to move to a new place where you don't really know anyone, and it's also hard to move to a place where you almost have no family. And one difficult aspect of being in Kansas City is that I often find myself missing home. Don't hear me wrong, I'm thankful to be in Kansas City serving Christ's community, but I miss my friends in the Chicagoland area, and I miss my friends back in good old Indiana. One reason I am looking forward to Christmas is because I will get to go home and see my family. For the next month, I will be singing the famous Christmas song, I'll be home for Christmas. You can plan on me. Please have snow and mistletoes and presents on the tree. Christmas Eve will find you where the love light gleams. I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams. I love this Christmas song, as you can tell, and I find it especially comforting in this season away from home. I think one of the reasons this song has become one of the quintessential Christmas songs is because we all long for home. And I think we tend to acutely long for home over the holiday season. I know some, for some of you, the holidays are a difficult time because of strife and brokenness in your own family. The holiday can also be a difficult time because they can be a reminder of close friends and family that have passed away. Do you ever sense that the place you call home isn't all it should be? Despite the difficulties often attached to home, we all long for a home, a place to belong, a place where we are fully known and fully loved, a place where we can be who we truly are and still be fully accepted. So this holiday season, we're introducing a new sermon series called Coming Home. One of the many ways the Bible talks about the human experience is the feeling of being away from our true home. This Advent, we are going to explore our longing for home and look at the hope that the Old Testament book of Isaiah offers that one day we will be able to come home at last. This morning, we will begin our series in Isaiah chapter 1, 1 through 20. 
we will answer three questions this morning through our text. The three questions we will answer are, first, how did we lose home? Second, how do we return home? Thirdly, how do we stay home? How do we lose home? How do we return home? How do we stay home? The first question we will answer is, how did we lose home? To answer this question, we will look at Isaiah 1, 1 through 4, which is on page 566 in your pew Bible. Again, Isaiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. In these verses, Isaiah answers the question, how did we lose home? By showing us that we lost home through our rebellion. We sinned against God, and this has resulted in us losing home. Now, Isaiah was a prophet, someone chosen by God to, to proclaim God's truth to God's people. And this is what Isaiah does from the very beginning of Isaiah. He proclaims the truth to the people of Judah. He doesn't soften it in any way. Look at what he says in the second half of verse 2 again. He says, Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. God uses this metaphor of a child rebelling against their parents to describe the sin of his people in Judah. Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't do everything my parents wanted me to do as a kid. When I strayed from my parents' commands, they would often remind me of all the things they did for me. They would say things like, I put those clothes on your back. I put that food in your stomach. I brought all those video games in your room. So how could you disobey me after all I've done for you? Don't bite the hand that feeds you. They would guilt me, basically. <laughs> but after my parents said statements like these, I was reminded of how much they had done for me, and I was reminded that I should submit to their authority in a much higher and holier way. This is what God is doing in this text. God loved and cared for his people. In the book of Exodus, God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. He parted the Red Sea so they could be free from their bondage. He provided for them for 40 years in the wilderness. He gave them manna from heaven for over 40 years. Then he parted the Jordan River so they could enter the promised land. He defeated all their enemies so they could enter the land of Judah. But now God's people have rebelled against him. He raised his people like a loving mother raises her cherished child, and they have now rebelled against him. Look at what God says in verse 3 again. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. In this verse, God basically says that the animals have more knowledge than his people. 
because at least the animals know their owner and provider. The ox recognizes and acknowledges their owner. The donkey knows who their provider is, but God's people do not know. This word know is not referring to knowing in the cognitive sense. The word to know in this context is referring to knowing in an experiential sense. The best way I can explain this is Facebook. I can get on someone's Facebook profile and learn information about them, but unless I spend time with them, I do not truly know them in an experiential sense. And if we were to be honest, we all have friends on Facebook that, we don't, that aren't really our friends, right? God is basically saying that his people may know information about him, but they do not truly have a relationship with him anymore. This is why God says at the end of verse 4, they have forsaken the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel, they are utterly estranged. This last phrase, utterly estranged, literally means to turn away or to become a stranger. God makes it clear that his people have turned their back on him. They have gone their own way. They have forsaken his commandments, and they are living life their own way. The best word to sum up this behavior is sin. Sin is the act of turning away from God and going our own way. This is exactly what God's people are doing. They have rebelled against his commands and have turned their own way. Now go with me for a second. Sin is not only rebellion against God, it is also the undermining act of unmaking and unraveling ourselves because sin is destructive. So we hurt ourselves when we indulge in sin. When we sin, we damage ourselves. In chapter one of Isaiah, the prophet shows us the negative impact of sin. Look at verse five and six of Isaiah chapter one. It reads, why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. In this passage, we see that sin is not only rebellion against God, but attack against ourselves. The people of God are described as a sick person with open wounds that, not, that have not been bandaged. Imagine seeing a person with open wounds on their body from their hair to their feet. Imagine seeing a person covered in bruises, sores, and open wounds that have not been cleaned with alcohol and covered with bandages to heal. This is the state of all humanity because we have rebelled against God, our creator, like the people of Judah. We see this sickness and brokenness in our own society. We recently had yet another shooting where people died in a synagogue in Pittsburgh. And then we had another shooting in a bar in California. And this past week, we had another mass shooting at a hospital in Chicago. When I see people dying like this, my heart breaks. Something inside of us tells us this is not the way things should be. These incidents remind us that we lost home and we live in a fallen world. In our text this morning, we see that the people of Judah lost their home by their sin and rebellion against God. We are not Judean, 
But like the people of Judah, we have also lost our home through our rebellion against God. Our four parents, Adam and Eve, the first human beings on earth, lost their home in the Garden of Eden by their sin and rebellion. Adam and Eve had perfect communion with God and with one another in the Garden of Eden. God commanded them not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but they rebelled and ate from it anyway. We all follow in the footsteps of Adam and Eve by eating from trees that God tells us not to eat from. God, our creator, knows what is best for us because he made us. But we all at times follow our own way and rebel against God. God is holy and set apart from all sin. Thus, our sin has resulted in us losing our relationship with him and thus losing home. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Doesn't matter if you're European, African, Asian, Latin American, or Native American. It doesn't matter if you're a blue collar worker or a white collar worker. It doesn't matter if you live east of State Line Road or west of State Line Road. It doesn't matter if you're young, middle age, or later in age. It doesn't matter what your level of education is. The ground is level at the cross because we have all sinned against God. Sin is not an abstract concept. Sin is lying, stealing, participating in sexual immorality, gossiping, using our words to tear other people down, looking down on other people, boasting in ourselves and being greedy. Sin is ultimately idolatry, which is placing something or someone above God. And we all do this, and this has resulted in the loss of home. Now, some of you may be thinking, Henry, we get it. We lost home through our rebellion. We have all sinned and we have lost home, so what do we do now? How do we get home? Well, our text answers this question. Our text shows us the pathway back home, back to God. In our text, we see that we can't return home through false religion, but only through true repentance. We cannot get home through our own efforts, but only by true repentance. Before our text tells us how to get home, it shows us that we can't get home through false religion. False religion. Let's look back at verse 11 of our text. It reads, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? Says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. He goes on in verse 13 to say, Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Then he goes on to say in verse 15, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. God commanded his people to do animal sacrifices, to cover their sin and guilt. He also commanded his people to keep the Sabbath. He commanded them to do various festivals throughout the year to celebrate his faithfulness. God also wanted his people to pray to him. But in this passage, God is rejecting their worship. God basically says, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your Sabbaths and festivals anymore. Also, when you pray to me, I'm not going to hear you. Now, it's important to see that God rejects 
the worship of his people because it's false worship. God's people were doing the right things, but they were doing them with the wrong motivation. Later in the book of Isaiah, God says, This people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. God rejects their worship because it's not sincere. God doesn't want their lips. He wants their hearts. But their hearts are far from him. They are captivated by idols and sin. Thus God rejects their worship. Judah sinned against God through their rebellion, by rebelling against God's way and rule. They also sinned by trying to be good. Even though everything they were doing was biblical and commanded by God, they were actually far from him. Now, we are not the people of Judah. We do not have to offer animal sacrifices or keep festivals. But for those of us who are worshipers of God and followers of Christ, these words of judgment and warning to Judah are words that we need to hear this morning. We can all fall into offering God false worship, which is ultimately worship without our hearts. God wants our affections. He wants us to love him above all else. And I will be honest, even as a pastor, it can be easy to go through the motions and worship God without my heart. After all, I'm supposed to be at church every Sunday, right? Now, as a kid, my parents would tell me to do something like do the dishes, clean the kitchen, or take out the trash. And I would follow their command but I would do it with an attitude. I would do it with the wrong motivation. I would do it with a frown on my face or do it in a way that let my parents know that I didn't want to do it. During these times, my parents would say something like, you better fix your attitude before I fix it for you. (laughs) Sometimes I got disciplined by my parents, not because I did the wrong thing, but for doing the right thing with the wrong disposition. My parents didn't want me just to do what they asked. They wanted me to honor them in the way that I did it. In a higher and holier way, God does not want us just to go through the motions. God does not want us just to check off our church attendance. He wants us to glorify him in all areas of our lives. God just doesn't want our worship on Sunday. He wants us to glorify him in the way that we live Monday through Saturday. Yes, we should come to church. But God wants our hearts throughout the entire week. In his book, You Are What You Love, by James K. Smith, Smith writes, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, your longings. This quote shows that Jesus wants our heart. We offer God the truest worship when our hearts are set on him above everything else. We see this morning as in Isaiah that we cannot get home through false worship. It does not come from our heart. This text also shows us how to move beyond false worship. Look at verse 16 of our text. It reads, Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds. From before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, 
bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Isaiah caused the people of Judah to repentance because they had turned away from God. They were rebelling against God and offering false worship. So he caused the people of Judah to repent. In these verses, Isaiah shows us that in order for us to go home, we must truly repent. Isaiah basically shows us that we can't go home by false religion, but only by true repentance. Now, some of you may be thinking, what is repentance? Well, repentance is turning away from turning away. In order to repent, we must turn away from our rebellion and turn back to God. We have to admit that God's way is better than our way. This is how we find our way back home. We must turn away from our turning away. Did you notice in verse 16 how Isaiah doesn't say remove your evil deeds? Instead, he says that we must remove the evil of our deeds, which means that we must repent of even our good religious actions that are drenched in hypocrisy. God calls his people to repent for doing the right things for the wrong reasons. And that's not all. Now, in verse 16, at the end, God also calls his people to stop doing evil. God calls his people to live a life of repentance. We should continually turn away from the sin in our lives. We must continually repent of sexual morality, gossip, lying, greed, and anger. Is there some evil in your life that you need to turn from today? As Christians... God wants us to grow progressively in sanctification. So sanctification is the process by which we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Followers of Jesus Christ should be growing in holiness. But this is a process. I know this from personal experience because there's still areas in my life where I need to be sanctified and conform to the image of Jesus. We never arrive as Christians this side of heaven. We all have areas where we need to be conformed to the image of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through Jesus Christ, we should turn from all evil. In verse 17, Isaiah calls the people of Judah to not only stop doing evil, but to actually do good. Look at verse 17 again. It reads, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, Bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. In this verse, Isaiah calls the people of Judah to do good. The people of Judah were so corrupt that they had forgotten how to even do good to their neighbor. God had commanded them to love their neighbor as themselves, but they needed to learn how to do good again due to their sinfulness. The good God wanted his people to do was made clear in verse 17. God wanted his people to seek justice for those on the margins of their society. God called his people to care for the fatherless and widow. He also called his people to stop those who were using their power to oppress vulnerable people in their land. God ultimately called his people to fulfill the great commandment by loving their neighbor as themselves. Now, the people of Judah lived in a theocratic monarchy which is a fancy way of saying basically that Judah had a king, but they were ultimately under God's rule. 
Throughout the Old Testament, God called his people, the Jews, to continually care for the marginalized in their land. If you read the Old Testament, there are many verses about caring for the poor, the fatherless, the alien, the widow. This was encoded into their constitution by God. Now, in the United States, we have a democracy. God is at work in the United States in all countries, but the U.S. is not God's chosen nation like the Israelites. Despite this reality, God still calls American Christians to care for the marginalized. In the book of James, in the New Testament, God calls Christians to care for the orphan and widow. James 1.27 reads, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. As Christians, we should care for the marginalized in our society. We live in a fallen world where all countries have some form of injustice. And we see this in the United States. In our country, we have a system where millions of unborn children have been aborted. We have a criminal justice system in place that seems to punish lower income ethnic minorities more harshly. We live in a country where people in positions of power use their platform to dehumanize undocumented people. We live in a country where the abuse of women and even children is often covered up. We live in a country where people in lower income communities are offered predatory loans with extremely high interest rates that keep them trapped in debt. Like the people of Judah, we have some injustice in our land. In light of this reality, we should seek out tangible ways to care for the unborn and for children being raised in single-parent homes. We should also care for economically vulnerable women with children. We should seek out ways to tangibly care for the widow and the immigrant. We should also seek out ways to correct those who use their power to oppress certain groups of people in our country. As Christians, God calls us to care for those on the margins of our society. And I know there is a heart for this at Christ Community because we collected over 128 Thanksgiving bags for our drive to give to families in need this Thanksgiving. My hope, <laughs> yeah, we can praise God for that. My hope is that as a Christian community, we can grow in this area even more. We should pray for God to give us wisdom on how to do good by caring for those on the margins in our society. This is what God calls his people to in our text this morning. Okay, now this text is, does not just show us how we lost home or how we returned. This text answers the question, how do we stay home? And In Isaiah chapter 1, we see that we can only remain home through God's restoration. And in order for us to stay home, we need God to restore us. Look at verse 18 of our text. It reads, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. In this verse, Isaiah offers the people of Judah hope through this promise. God basically said, even though you rebelled against me, offered me false worship, and neglected the marginalized, I'm going to cleanse you from all your sins. God promises to purify his people from their sins. 
Their sin is a deep red like scarlet, but he promises to make them as pure as freshly fallen snow. He promises to make them as pure as white wool. God offers his people the hope of forgiveness and restoration. God shows his people that there is no sin too great for him to cleanse them from by his power. This is good news for the people of Judah. This is also good news for us this morning because this promise is ours in Jesus Christ. Now, over this holiday weekend, I went to see a movie called Creed II, starring Sylvester Stallone and Michael B. Jordan. I won't spoil the movie for you if you plan on going to see it in theaters, but I will tell you that this film is about a young boxer named Adonis Creed who loses his way Adonis is lost and he can't get back on track. But thankfully, an experienced boxer and trainer named Rocky Balboa leaves his home in Philadelphia to help Adonis get back on track. Do you know this is what Jesus did for us? Jesus saw that humanity had lost his way. Jesus saw that we had lost our home with God through our rebellion. And he knew that we were so lost in our sin that we would never find home. So he left his home in heaven in order to bring us back home. To bring us home, he took on flesh and lived the perfect life we could never live. Then he died for our sin and rebellion against God. He shed his crimson blood on the cross, on the cross of Calvary, on the cross of Calvary, to make us as pure as snow. At the cross, Jesus died until death died. And at the cross, Jesus died until sin died. And after he died, they buried him in a borrowed tomb. And he stayed there all day Friday and all day Saturday. But early Sunday morning, he got up conquering the grave. Then he ascended to the right hand of God. Now all those who turn from their sins and put their faith in Jesus will be able to come to their true home. One day, Jesus will return to gather all his children from every nation, tribe, and tongue to bring them home to the new heavens and the new earth. Through Jesus Christ, we regain the home that we lost. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. I thank you for showing us grace, Lord, and for opening up a way for us to be forgiven and adopted as your children through Jesus Christ, Father. Pray that you would show us if there's anything we need to turn away from, Lord. Show us, Lord, and give us the grace to walk in your way, Lord, and follow your commands, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Even as we go into communion, Lord, we thank you for Christ's body broken for us, for his blood shed on the cross so that we could be redeemed and forgiven and brought home, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.